You'll have to forgive us, Betty and I, every time we come back to Tallawood, it's a journey in nostalgia for us, and you'll just have to live with that a little bit. We're amazed at what's happened and what God has done in this place over these years, and particularly these last years under Dr. Dwayne Brooks and the wonderful progress that you've made here in this place. But we can't help but remember 1959, standing on this vacant property where not a house was in sight, squinting in the distance to the north and seeing the cars and trucks pass by on Katy Highway. And now all of a sudden there are people and schools and houses everywhere and skyscrapers on Katy Highway. We can't believe that. You'll just have to forgive us for that kind of remembrances. But you owe me a a little bit of gratitude for recommending the name of our church. We were here at the corner of Perthshire and Tallawood and we wanted a name that indicated the location of the church. So Perthshire Baptist Church was kind of a tongue twister. You had a hard time saying that and Tallawood had a good ring to it and that was the name that finally survived. And it was here on this odd side of the street in the 500 block and the post office gave me the freedom and authority to select a, a, an address. Had to be an odd number on the 500s. Tallawood used to be called Tallawood Lane. When we built the church here, it was Tallawood Drive. So I chose a poetic address, 555 Tallawood Drive. <laughs> a lot better than 12,564 Perthshire Drive, I can tell you. No poetry in that. But something happened since then. They didn't ask my permission, but they changed the name to Tallawood Road and the poetry's gone. (laughs) But they still deliver the mail here and I'll take some credit for that. But uh, what a privilege to come back and see what the Lord has done in these wonderful areas around this church and the way you've brought people to the Lord in this place. It's a privilege to fill in for your pastor on this Sunday. You know, there are some passages here in the Bible that might be called scriptural cliches. They're verses that we've heard so often and read so frequently that they tend to no longer engage us. They come across as uh, passe and predictable and maybe even dull. Familiarity has a way of doing that, dulling the edge of our appreciation for things. For example, we're so familiar with the air we breathe that we take it for granted. And that's why an Eastern mystic one time said, no one sings hymns to the air, but oh, to be without it. We sometimes forget that as we think of scripture passages that are familiar to us. And one of those most widely quoted is John 3, 16, maybe the most familiar verse in all the Christian Bible. Every time you watch television, when a football goes through the uprights to score an extra point. There'll be somebody back there in the crowd holding up a sign, John 3:16. It's everywhere. In and out burgers just has come to Dallas and on the rim of their paper cups, they print John 3:16. That clothing store, Forever 21, puts John 3:16 on the bottom of their shopping bags. That famous quarterback Tim Tebow had it inscribed on his eye black. You see it everywhere. It's been called everybody's text. Martin Luther called it the gospel in miniature. The gospel in a nutshell, or in a more contemporary expression, the the gospel on a micro dot, 
You know that a microdoc in the world of espionage is uh, printed material reduced by a microphotography to a little pinhead or a period at the end of a sentence. It's almost that way with this text. The entire good news in just 25 words, the simplest expression of the gospel. I want us to look at it this morning with some fresh new eyes, this compact little verse. And to do that, I want you to open your Bible to John chapter 3. You've read it often, but look back at that chapter a minute to get the context of where this verse appears. You'll notice it begins with that uh, remarkable story John records for us of Jesus' encounter with a ruling Pharisee named Nicodemus. It's here in verse 3 where Jesus said to him, you must be born again, for unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And then if you'll notice in your copy of the scripture, verse 16, there's a paragraph there. Your Bible probably shows an indention to indicate a new paragraph. Now you recall that in the original Greek text, there are no punctuation marks, no paragraphing, no quotation marks, certainly no uh, verse numbers. The words all kind of run together, but scholars believe that right here at verse 16, there needed to be a paragraph. The words of Jesus that precede that end here. Nicodemus kind of lets the story of, of uh, or John lets the story of Nicodemus kind of go into the background. And here he, under inspiration, gives us kind of an explanation of what that conversation was all about. And so here is where he starts. This verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Those words are not a quote from Jesus, but they're the inspired words of John the apostle and we're grateful he gave it to us. I want you to look one way at this verse. It's its verbal construction. It's such a beautifully crafted sentence. For God, that's the word theos from which we get the word theology or theocracy. It's the name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the creator, the almighty one for God. So, meaning so much or in such a manner, loved. The word is not the word for emotion or feeling, but a sturdy word, agape, meaning an outward concern and action for other people. For God so loved in that active way, the world. It's the word cosmos, the world of people. Not so much the created order, nature, but the world of people. God loved all those made in his image from the very beginning until this day. Scholars say there have been 106 billion people living on this planet from the time Adam and Eve launched the human race until this very day. And in fact, I looked up uh, just uh, last Friday afternoon, as of day before yesterday afternoon, about three o'clock, the population clock on the internet said that today there are 7,028,109,772 people alive here today. And I believe most of them are going both ways out here on Katy Highway. I've never seen <laughs> such traffic. How do, you, how do you live with that? It's, it's amazing all the people of the world. And God loves all of them. He loved them and then he gave, literally it says he delivered up his son, his only unique son. 
Now, a lot of people my age, we memorized the King James Version and we called it the only begotten Son of God. How many of you learned it that way? God's only begotten Son. I hate to tell you that, but that's a mistranslation of the word here in the New Testament. Uh, ancient scholars thought it was the word Ganao meaning to father or to become a, a father, a parent, to beget, and therefore only begotten. But the word really means type or kind. And the idea is that this is God's one of a kind son, his only unique son, no one else like him. That's the way the verse actually reads. Now, Jesus was begotten. He was born of a virgin 2,000 years ago. But Jesus didn't begin then. He was God's son throughout all eternity. He is the pre-existent one. There never was a time when Jesus was not. Therefore, we think of him as eternally the son of God. So here he says, God gave his unique, one-of-a-kind son in order that whosoever... That's a little old word, pos, meaning all or anyone or everyone who believes, that is, puts their trust in, in him, in Jesus, shall never perish or be destroyed. That's a reference to hell or Gehenna, but shall have eternal life, a reference to heaven. Eternal life, not just everlasting life, but life of a new quality, life of a new nature. What a beautiful sentence. In fact, Max Licato says this, Verse is an alphabet of grace. He said, it's a table of contents to the Christian hope. He said, each word in this sentence is a safe deposit box of jewels, a powerful sentence. Literally, it would read like this. For so much in such a manner loved God the world that his son, his only unique one of a kind son, he gave up, he delivered up, in order that all, whoever, anyone who believes, trusts in him, shall not once for all perish, but shall have everlasting life of a superior quality now and forever. The gospel on a micro dot. But there's another way to look at this verse, and I want us to do that this morning. I got the idea from a Scottish Baptist preacher named Alexander McLaren. He pastor the Baptist church in Manchester, England for 45 years. He died in 1910. They called him the prince of expository preachers. And I've compared dozens of uh, expository and sermon outlines about this verse, commentaries, and I don't think you could improve on the way Dr. McLaren looked at John 3:16. He said, in this verse, there is a lake and a river and a dipper and water. I hope that image kind of rests in your mind. There is here in this book, a lake. In this verse, God so loved the world. That's the lake. Martin Luther said, you know, if I were the Lord God and these vile people were as disobedient as they now are, I would knock the world in pieces. Many of us feel that way, but God loves the world this sin-sick, foolish, blundering, wayward world. He loves it. And when John wrote this word, in the Greco-Roman world surrounding him, there were plenty of pagan gods. There were lots of gods. Some of them were angry and peevish. Others were capricious and unpredictable. Some were lustful. Some of them were fighting. Plenty of gods. But there was not one of those gods 
of whom worshipers said, our God loves the world. Not a one. In fact, even in Judaism, they frequently talked about God loving the world outside of Israel. This is a utterly unique idea. God loves the whole world. New, incredible message. We've heard it so often, grown so accustomed to it that it, it doesn't really amaze us as much as it should. We kind of get the idea sometimes that God is a stern, unyielding creator and that it was the loving, forgiving Jesus who convinced God to love us. But it's the other way around. According to this verse, God first loved us and then out of that love, he sent his son to die for us. Others say that Jesus came and died on the cross so that God would love us, but it's not that way. God loved us and then gave up his son who died for us. That's God's identity. God loves us. He lavishes his love on us. And he loves not only chosen people or good people, he not only loves those that love him, but he loves all of them. He loves not only the families of those brave Marines who die over in Afghanistan, but he loves the family of those misguided suicide bombers who kill them. He not only loves the heartbroken families of those who lost loved ones in Colorado. We had a friend who lost a son there. But he loves the family of that maniacal killer. As much as we have, I find it hard to understand, he loves all the world and the lake of God's lavish love is a lake that is immeasurably deep and wide. And it's where this verse begins, the lake of God's love. But out of that lake, there's a river. And the river is, he gave up his one and only son. You see, flowing out of that deep, wide lake of God's love is a river that brings the water of that lake to us, to a lost world, to everyone who will hear it. He literally gave up his son to die on the cross so that we could be saved. And that's the way the love of God flows right here into this room. Flows to your feet, flows to the feet of everybody who hears the gospel. It's available to anyone who returns in faith and trust to him. That's the only way to God. Jesus, in fact, said that no one comes to the father but by me. There's only one river that brings the lake of God's love to us. And that's the river of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But that one river is amazingly wide and it flows to the feet of everyone who hears the good news so that anyone who can turn in faith and trust to him can be saved. That river is right here today in this room at our very feet, available to you, available to anyone who will receive it as God's gift of grace through faith in him. That's the river. But there is in this verse also, according to McLaren, a dipper, the container, the bucket by which we reach in and draw the water to ourselves. And that, that dipper, that bucket is faith, is trust in him. Whosoever believes in him, that's the dipper by which we receive the water from the river. Who, is, who believes that? That word means more than just believing that it's true. It's more than just having an intellectual assent to the gospel. It's more than just believing that Jesus is the Son of God and that He did die for you and that He can save you and forgive your sin. It is believing all of that, but then believing it, it is trusting in Him, giving your life to Him, accepting that gift, receiving the new life He paid to, 
his price to give you. There has to be that reaching into the water of the river and receiving the gift by faith and trust in him. You notice this verse, very important, but you notice the verse doesn't say whoever does good works or whoever goes to church or whoever gives their money. It says whosoever believes in him, trust in him. So here's that river from the lake of God's love flowing right beside us. And all we have to do is to dip down by faith and receive it. Long time ago during the early days of uh, oceanic navigation, there was a sailing ship, been in a storm, two of its masts had broken off miles off the northeast coast of Brazil. They were standing still in the water, completely unable to navigate and things were getting difficult. They were in great distress. They were running out of supplies. All they could do was hoist a distress signal and hope that a passing vessel would see them. And finally one did and pulled up and the frantic sailors inside, thirsty almost to the point of dying, called out to the other ship, help us quickly, we're dying of thirst, send us water. And from the other ship, the others yelled back, throw your buckets down and help yourselves. You're in the mouth of the Amazon River. It's fresh water flows miles out into the ocean. You can drink it. You can drink it. How ironic. Dying of thirst when fresh water was all around them. But it didn't do them any good until they lowered the buckets and brought it and took it to themselves. And that's what this verse is saying. Water all around us, God's love flowing to us through the sacrifice of Jesus available to all. But we need to reach out and accept it in order to be saved. And that bucket by, ho- by which we reach it is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That word who for, whosoever or whoever in the verse is really important. We used to sing, uh, Carlos, a little uh, hymn, a little chorus called whosoever surely meaneth me, whosoever meaneth me. It was a popular verse during our younger years and that's true. Whosoever includes each one of us. And I like the way Richard Baxter put that in his uh, writings. He was a songwriter back in the 17th century. And he used to say, I thank God for that word, whosoever. Because if the Bible were to say, there is salvation for Richard Baxter, I'm such a sinful creature, I'd suspect that verse was meant for somebody else named Richard Baxter. Couldn't be me. But that word, whoever or whosoever includes the worst of all the people named Baxter that ever lived. It includes me. And that's the good news here today that we celebrate. That includes us. In fact, the Apostle Paul understood that. When he wrote the letter of Galatians to that church in the first century, he knew that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world and he made that clear in the letter. But I think he loved to write even more under inspiration that 20th verse of chapter two, when Paul says, the son of God died for me. The son of God gave me eternal life. It just amazed him and it should have made us salvation for everyone who will receive it. That's the bucket. But there's also in this verse, the water, the water that flows from the lake of God's love through the river that we can dip up by faith. That is, you shall not perish but you shall have eternal 
life. God so loved the world, that's the lake, that he gave his only son, that's the river, that whoever believes in him, that's the dipper, shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the water, eternal life from the lake of God's love, all through the Bible, all through the Bible. We're warned that there are two eternal destinies for human beings. One of those is perishing, eternal perishing. For those who die without trusting in Jesus, who are apart from God, who have no relationship to God, the Bible calls that destiny hell or Gehenna, eternal separation from God. But the fact is, those people who reject God don't have to wait until they die to be eternally perishing. The Bible says those without God are perishing already. The Bible says they are already dead in trespasses and sins. They are dead while they live, already perishing. And unless they repent and believe, then hell will merely be the everlasting continuation of what their life is right now. Eternally perishing. But the good news in John 3.16 is that there's another destiny and it's called eternal life. Eternal life, not just a life that lasts forever, but a life that's filled with joy and meaning and purpose and and happiness in, in the days here. We don't have to wait until we die to have everlasting life. You receive it the moment you give your life to Jesus. When he comes in to be your savior, when you're born again, when you are given that new life, this kind of eternal life starts now and heaven becomes merely the eternal continuation of that, elevated to its highest point that we can even imagine. And we continue with that life that Jesus gives us here forever and forever. What a great verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only unique son that whoever believes or trusts in him shall not perish forever, but shall forever and ever have a life eternal, full and meaningful. That's the gospel in a nutshell or the gospel on a micro dot. Will you bow with me a moment? We're going to pray about that a little bit. I hope that as we pray this all too familiar verse, which may have become trite or dull and too familiar to us, has touched you in a new way today. And the saving water from the lake of God's love has come through the river of Jesus' sacrifice right to us in this room right now, all around you, all available but you have to dip in by faith and drink it in. If you've already done that, then we praise God. We're grateful for your commitment. But if you haven't, then you can reach out by faith and take it in right now, right while we pray in a moment. You can simply say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my life and forgive me and give me that new life and be my savior forever. And however you open your heart to him like that, the promise of scripture is that he comes in, changes you, gives you a new life, holds you in his hand forever, takes you to heaven when you die. It's the most important commitment you can make. And right now in this quiet time would be a good time to do it. Father, we pray that the same Holy Spirit that inspired this little verse will open our hearts anew to its message today. And this is the prayer we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.